The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. My wife just told me I should come up here and shadow box, but I'm not going to do that. Hey, if you're a, a guest with us today, I'm really glad you're here. And if you're not a guest, I'm glad you're here too. Um, you can fill out, there's a connect card inside of your bulletin. Um, it's our way to know that not only that you are here, but if you fill out the, the prayer requests or the praises on the back so we can pray with you, um, that's something that our pastors do each week. And if you're, a first time, if you're a first-time guest with us, you can take that Connect card to the Welcome Center in the lobby, and we have a, we have a box for you filled with a few things. Um, if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to grab it and open it to Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 to 42. We're going to get there in a few minutes. If you have any questions about our message time, I always tell you, you can, you can send a text to the number that's on the screen. And then on Tuesday, Tuesday mornings at 11.15, we talk about those questions. It's just a way for us to, it's a way for us to interact as a church body. It's a way for us to interact with, with our community. And like Shane said, uh, when, he was, when he was talking about the, that everyday song, it's a way for us to be engaged with one another outside of this 1015. Because because maybe you didn't know this, but but the ten our Sunday 1015 is not the most important thing we do during the week. This is not the most important thing that we do during the week. Um, we have opportunities to learn and grow and to connect with one another outside of this place. So so I would encourage you to do that. Um, and yeah, if this is your first time here, we've been talking about what matters at Westway Christian Church for 2019. You can go to our, our media page, just westwaychurch.com. There's a media page on there. You can listen to all of the previous messages um, from this series and from other things that we talked about. And if you have a, if you have a smartphone, uh, you can go to, if you have an, an Apple smartphone, you can go to the, the podcast store and look up Westway Christian Church. You'll know it's us when you see our W. There's a reason we have a logo, because we want that to be easily identifiable. And if you have, a, if you have an Android phone or a Google phone, you can go to the Google Play Store and find our podcasts on there as well. And those get uploaded every Sunday, usually by 1 o'clock. One of the things that really matters to us a lot here at Westway is, is the Bible, um, we want to we want to interact with it. We want to engage with it. We want to do more than just a quick read in the morning. We've talked about this before in the book of James. James writes that that God's word is is a mirror, and it reflects back to us reality. It reflects back to us the reality of who God is, and it reflects back to us um, about the reality of who who we are and what our, what our position is. And our desire here is, is to allow the Bible to have authority over us. So like, we want to be under Scripture. So when we read the Bible, we want to be under it. We want to read it. We want to understand it. And we want to have it be the thing uh, that has authority over our lives. And we want to be transformed by it. And just as a question, how many of you have a hard time understanding the Bible? Let's see a show of hands. And seriously, how many of you have a hard time understanding the Bible? Keep your hands up. Okay? Look around you. Okay? Look at all of the people who have a hard time understanding the Bible. And I want to give you some encouragement in that. 
The Bible is hard to read. The Bible is hard to read. It's a book that was written almost 2,000 years ago and older. So, so what we read is old. was written thousands of years ago. It was written in a language that only Dave Robinson and Aaron Prose can speak. So of course it's going to be hard for us to understand. Of course it's going to be a challenge for us when we open it up and trying to figure out what it has to say to us. And here at Westway Christian Church, we, we don't want to just tell you to, to read your Bible. We want to give you tools to help you interact with your Bible. We want to give you tools to help you engage with the Bible so, so you can have that position of authority over you. Because if you don't interact with it and you don't engage it and we don't understand it, then, then we're not going to give it a position of authority over us. And, and one of the tools that we, that we create each week is in your bulletin, and it's in the, in the form of sermon notes. And it's just a study guide to help you go beyond what we do here on on Sunday morning. And one of the things that we really encourage you to do is we encourage you to, to, to work through that in a community of other believers. Because in communities of believers, one of the things we find is accountability. And when we have accountability with one another, that's one of the things that leads, that leads to transformation of our lives. That's how the Holy Spirit works in us. And today... What we're going to do during, during our message time as we talk about what it means to, to serve from a biblical standpoint, we're going, to use, we're going to use another tool. We're going to use a very specific Bible study method. And if you've, seen, and if, if you've seen any of our study guides in the past that we've done with Hebrews or Ecclesiastes or James, this study method will be kind of familiar uh, to you. We want to point to Jesus. We want to understand what he has for us for this year. So let's Let's go to Luke chapter, chapter 10, uh, beginning at verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big tenor she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, Martha. That's my translation. You are worried and upset over all of these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. So the, the way that we're going to look at this text today, we're going to use this, this Bible study method called OPA. And the O stands for observations. And this is, this is really kind of simple at first. Basically what we do is we look at the text and we, and we make observations from the text. And we want to do this, we want to take a little time in this process, because as, I'm a human being, and you are all human beings, and I understand how human nature works. When we read the Bible, like we immediately want to ask the question, what does this mean for me? Like we could be one verse in, 
And we immediately begin to process, what am I supposed to learn from this? What am I supposed to take from this? How am I supposed to uh, read this and have it impact my life? And what we need to do is we need to remember that this is a 2,000-year-old book. Okay? So that takes some work for us to figure out what does it mean. And one way to do that is to make some observations about what, what we're seeing. And again, some of these are very obvious. These are some ones that, that I found that were just very, very obvious. Jesus and the disciples were going to Jerusalem. I know that sounds basic, right? But this is what an observation is. And only by following a process and trying to understand what, what this meant— to the original here, can we understand what it means for us? So they are on their way to Jerusalem. They stopped in a certain village. They were welcomed in the house of someone named Martha. And Jesus taught, and Martha's sister Mary sat at his feet. But there are some other observations that we, that we make that are a little bit more nuanced. We have, to, we have to read the text. We have to pay attention to what's going on. We have to think about... How do people act in situations like this? One of the things that we see here is that Martha is so caught up in the preparation of the meal that she's distracted. She's greatly troubled. And here's, here's what I think that means. Because I've been around people who are greatly troubled in situations like this. And here's what I think that means. When Martha closed the cupboard... She probably closed it a little louder than she normally would. When Martha was taking plates and setting them down on the table, she was probably setting them down a little louder than she normally would. My guess is you didn't have to listen very hard to hear some sighs coming from the kitchen. Have you ever been around a person like that? You know what I'm talking? Have you ever been that person? right? You're in the kitchen, you're working, everyone's out there, and you wonder why no one's helping you, so you start doing all of these different things. I think Martha seems, seems filled with some anger and resentment about Mary, don't you? Don't you sense that from this? One of the things that I noticed when I read through this, when I read through this text is how Martha seems to, seems to make an effort to over-spiritualize and project her dysfunctions onto Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus, aren't you bothered by this? Notice Martha doesn't come in the room and start with herself, right? Because that would mean that she would have to take some ownership for who she is. But she flips it on Jesus. Jesus, aren't you bothered by this? Certainly you are upset that I'm in the kitchen doing all this work and Mary's just sitting here. Why, why are you allowing this to happen? And I love, and we're still in observations, I love Jesus' response. He's just not going to play into her nonsense. Like, he's just not going to give in to the way, to the thing that Martha is trying to draw him into. And my guess is, is you've been in a conversation like that, haven't you? Where someone tries to draw you in, like into, a, into an argument or into a fight with someone else. They try and bring you into it. And Jesus is just not going to play that game with her. He tells Martha that, that she's anxious about all the details, but there is something that is more important. 
And Mary has that thing, and Jesus is not going to take it away from her. And there's probably a lot more observations we could find in this text. Let's talk about the P in OPA, and that stands for principles. Okay, this is something that's, that's really important for us as we think about how we interact with the Bible. Here's, here's one definition of the word principle. A fundamental, primary, or general law or truth from which others are derived. So a principle is a fundamental, primary, or general law or general truth from which others are derived. So we have the one thing, and then other things kind of come out from that. And one of the things when we think about biblical principles in particular as we study Scripture, something that we have to remember is the principles that we find in Scripture are going to be the same principles that they would have had. Does that make sense? The Bible is not going to mean something different for us than it meant for them. Now, the way we, the way we respond to it is a little bit different. But from a, from a principle standpoint, the Bible is not going to mean something to us that's different than it would have meant to them. This is a reason that we have to interact with Scripture in community. Because we've all been in the Bible study where the question gets asked, what does this text mean to you? What does this mean to you? I, I would say that that's not necessarily a bad question, but the first question that we have to ask is, what, what did it mean to them? Because Luke wrote this with a purpose. Jesus said and did these things with a reason. And part of our work as Christians, as we interact with and engage with Scripture and, and we want to give it authority over us, right? We have to find out what, what he meant. What, what did Jesus say? Why did Jesus say this? What did that mean? And again, if this is, if this is a mirror for us, when, when we read this and we when we open the text up and this is a mirror and it's reflecting truth back the realities of god the realities of man a question that we would ask is what what does this teach us about god what is this text teaching us about god and another question that i would say is equally important what is this text teaching about man what does this teach text about humanity what is this text saying about me. So I want to read it again. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed her, him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. By this point, you should be able to see this scene, right? You should be able to understand what's going on here. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. 
here are some things that, that we talked about in, in our staff conversation earlier this week about some principles found in the text. Here's, here's the first principle. Motive matters. Motive matters. Why you serve matters. The reason why you serve, your motive, your motivation, that matters. We talked about this last week in other areas when we read through Matthew. When you give, don't be like the hypocrites. They only give to be noticed, and that will be their only reward. Motive matters. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They pray on street corners to be seen by men, and that will be their only reward. Motive matters. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. They mope around looking sad, so everyone will feel bad for them, so everyone will think they're being such faithful followers. And that will be their only reward. Our motive for serving matters. Our reason for serving matters. And one of the things that we see in this, in this text from, from Luke chapter 10 is that how you serve will eventually reveal your motive for serving. The way you serve will eventually reveal your motive for serving. Your real self will come out. It will. Your real self always comes out. When I was in, when I was in student ministry... Often, with many of my students, my interaction with our, with our middle school and high school students was limited to Sunday morning, Sunday school, Bible study on Sunday night, and then Wednesday night youth group. Now, other students I had different relationship with, but for most of my students, my, my interactions were limited to those three environments. And what would happen is, because, because I was only interacting with some of those students on a very limited way, I had a limited and an unreal perspective of who those kids really were. Right? Because would, they would come to youth group or Bible study or Sunday school. Some of them would come to all three. But I would have a very limited understanding of who those students were because my, my time spent with them was limited. I didn't get a lot of time with them. And I found out, too, that the same thing was true for adults. But then I would take kids on a weekend retreat, or I would take kids to summer camp, or I would take kids to Mexico, and I would see who the real student was, and it would only take about 48 hours. So I would just prep myself at about that 48-hour moment I'm going to see who these students really are. I'm going to see what dysfunctions they have. I'm going to see what their attitude is. I'm going to understand what their motive was for, for being at this event within 48 hours. It became like a little game to me to figure out what I was going to learn. And the same thing was true, I found, with adults. Adults couldn't really last much beyond that 48-hour time limit either, especially when you put them with a bunch of middle schoolers and high schoolers. That, like, really brings out the reality of who, of who adults are. I've, I just discovered, like, it's amazing what, 
It's amazing what backpacking for six days in the middle of North Carolina with high school students will reveal about who your kids are, who your youth group kids are. Or put them in a canoe for five days in Arkansas in 96-degree weather and keep them wet the entire time, right? And you will find out exactly who they are. And the same thing was true for me, and I've shared this before. When, when we went on that particular canoeing trip, like I, I thought I had my mindset made. And then on Tuesday afternoon, I think when my canoe had been dumped over for the third or fourth time, and I just recognized that I was going to be wet for the rest of the week, like my attitude just miraculously changed because I just had to, I had to have that happen. I needed to get over. And the thing that we want to remember is how you serve will eventually reveal your motive for serving. So if, if we're serving, and we're going to press pause on what I was about to say. Here's the second principle. Don't serve at the expense of the people around you. So number one, motive matters. Number two, don't serve at the expense of the people around you. People matter more than projects. And people matter more than rules, and they matter more than policy. People matter. And throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, what we see is Jesus confronting the religious leaders of his day, the leaders of his day, the chief priests and the scribes and the lawyers. And he is constantly confronting them for their adherence to the law over people. He's constantly drawing attention to this. People matter more than just getting a job done. So here's, here's the third principle, and this is really simple as well. Don't serve at the expense of paying attention to Jesus. Don't serve at Westway Christian Church at the expense of paying attention to Jesus. Busyness for Jesus does not equate to a relationship with Jesus. Busyness for Jesus does not equate to a relationship with him. That's why we can, like my Bible has one too, Bible reading plan, right? I can check all the boxes. I can pray. I can write sermons. I can call on people. I can be really, 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 really busy for Jesus. But that doesn't mean I have a relationship with him. And I would challenge you and encourage you as you think about serving to not be busy for Jesus. Here's the fourth principle that we, that we found in this text. Don't sit in judgment over the way others are serving or not serving without considering yourself first. So when you, when you walk in here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and, and, you, and you feel that little, that switch click on in the back of your head because of the way someone's doing something or not doing something, we've all been there, right? Let's be honest. We've all been there. We've all seen someone serving in a way that we wouldn't do it if we were them or we would do it better if we were them when that, when that switch kicks on, 
what I would encourage you to do is to consider yourself first. And that's not what Martha did. All of our assignments are not the same. All of our roles are not the same. And I would say it's not your job to figure out how others are serving or how they're not serving. It's not, it's not our role. It's not my role. Don't compare your service to the way others serve. I shared this the other day on my Facebook page, so I just got to read this here. In Mark chapter 9, we see the same thing. So, so this is kind of a setup for Mark chapter 9. You don't have to, you don't have to flip there. Um, Jesus and three of his disciples are, are away from the rest of the group. This is, <clears throat> if you were to look at Mark 9, you would see this is the transfiguration. Jesus and three of his disciples go up on the top of the mountain. They're away from the rest of the group. They come back down the mountain, and they find this large crowd gathered, and their disciples are in the middle of that. And they're all arguing with one another in this space. And here's what happened. A man, a man had brought his, his son to the disciples to, to cast this demon out, so they could cast this demon out for him. And the disciples were unable to do it. So Jesus casts this demon out for them. They leave, they go through Galilee, and on the way, he tells them that he is going to be killed. When they eventually get to Jerusalem, he is going to die. And I love the response of the disciples in this moment. Okay, so we're following this, this, this story, what's going on. They couldn't cast out demons. Jesus does. They leave, they're on their way, and Jesus says, I'm going to die. And the response of the disciples to their Lord telling them that he was going to die is this. They argue about which one of them is the greatest. Can you, can you put yourself in that situation for a minute? Jesus just says, I'm going to die to his closest friends. And their response is to argue about who is the greatest. And then... A little bit later, in Mark chapter 9, the disciples come back to Jesus, and they tell him that there's another group going around. And you know what they were doing? They were casting out demons. So you know what the disciples did? They told those people to stop. Isn't that kind of fascinating, like... That was the very thing that they themselves couldn't do. And they see someone else doing it. And what's their response? Tell them to stop. Isn't there just a tremendous amount of jealousy in that text? It's so simple for us to condemn other people for what they do or what, we don't, what they don't do. It's so easy. And oftentimes, the things that we condemn others the most for are the things that we ourselves are guilty of. The failure of the disciples was, was to not be able to cast out demons. So when they see someone else doing it who wasn't with Jesus, what's their response? Judgment. Condemnation. 
I wonder for us how when we slip into those judgment modes and those condemnation modes, what would it be like to press pause on that and to evaluate what God was doing in my own heart in that situation? Here's the fifth principle. The things that bother us aren't always the things that bother Jesus. Especially when the things that bother us are usually our own issues. The things that bother us aren't always things that bother Jesus. I wonder what happened as I kind of look at this story again as a human being, because this is a mirror, right? Not only is, is this mirror reflecting back the truth about who God is, but it's reflecting the truth back about who we are. So, if, I have, if I'm going to read a story like this, if I'm going to read a scene like this, then I, I kind of want to put myself into that. Like, what would that have been like? And one of the questions that I came up with, I wonder, I wonder what happened in, in the hours before we read what we read in Luke 10, this little interaction with Martha and Mary. I wonder, I wonder if Mary... Before this happened, I wonder if Mary asked Martha if there was a way she could help her in the kitchen. I wonder if she asked her if there was a way she could help her in the kitchen. And I wonder if Martha's response to that was, I don't need your help. I've got this under control. Don't need it. When Jesus comes, You just go and you sit with Jesus. And I will take care of what's going on in the kitchen. And we all know people like that, don't we? All of us know people that way. And some of us, we are that person. We are that person who someone asks if you you need help. And, And what do we say? Nope, I got it. Don't need your help. It's under control. This ought to challenge us. This, these five little verses ought to challenge us to wonder about the things that Jesus is really interested in as it relates to us. Jesus loves us and he cares about us. He died for us. He was resurrected so that we could have new life. He, he loves us. He cares about us. But here's the thing. We can't, we can't spiritualize our dysfunction. We can't go to him when our issues are our issues and say, Jesus, don't you care? Don't blame Jesus because you're an overfunctioner. because I think that's Martha's problem here, is Martha is an overfunctioner. Don't blame Jesus when your motivation isn't correct. Don't blame Jesus because you're judgmental. And when you do, and when you do blame Jesus, don't expect him to play your game. Jesus is, my favorite psychological term, is self-differentiated. 
And here's what self-differentiated means in layman's terms. Jesus is not swayed by how other people act around him. He is completely focused on his mission and on his purpose. And he's his own person. And if you go to Jesus and you, you try and dump all of your issues on him, and I don't mean that he doesn't want us to confess our sins to him, that he's not going to forgive us. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the way we blame who we are on him. And Jesus just, he's not going to play that game. He's not going to do that with us. Because Jesus is interested in our transformation. That's why this really matters. Because Jesus is interested in our transformation. He is interested in us being a new creature. Being something dramatically different than what we are today. And Jesus is going to do whatever it takes so that we will be transformed. Including letting the reality of who we are show. Like it did with Martha and her motivation. Martha serves long enough and her motivation comes out. Martha serves long enough and who she really is, it becomes evident. See, Jesus knows that that without a relationship with him, we're not just missing something in our life. Jesus knows that without a relationship with him, we are dead in our sins. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. You were like that. You were dead in your sin. So Jesus is in the, in the business of transformation. And that's why he hangs out with sinners. That's why he tells the Pharisees that it's not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick. So, What do we do with all of this? Observations, principles. We usually think of the word application, um, but I like the word attachment a little bit better. And the reason I like the word attachment a little bit better is because the application doesn't apply to every single one of us in the room. Because some of us are more spiritually mature, some of us are less spiritually mature. Some of us are Christians, some of us are not Christians. So to say, hey, go and do this one thing may not apply to every single person in every single case. That's why there's multiple principles. Because for some of you, your, your motive is right. But when you serve, your dysfunctions come out and you, you dump them on Jesus. You blame Jesus. So let's talk about these principles and, and think about which one or ones you need to attach to your own life. For some of us, our motivation really, really stinks. That's the foundation. Our motivation stinks. We think we're serving, but what we're really doing is we are controlling. We're perfectionists, right? We're the only one who does it right, and if someone doesn't do it my way, then they're not doing it right. That's why motive matters. Some of us are, are not serving. We're trying to earn our way to heaven. I said this last week when we were talking about giving. Some of us, some of us have this faulty imagination of what 
of what getting into heaven looks like. And, and we, we envision um, God holding like this huge set of scales. And on one side is, are all the bad things that we've done. And on the other side are all of the good things that we've done. And when it comes to giving, we've convinced ourselves if we just give a lot, like we're going to outweigh that sin, right? The scales are going to tip in our favor. We're going to get to heaven. And Jesus is going to be like, oh boy, it was a real close one. Um, Good thing you gave on February 3rd, 2018. Okay, serving is the exact same way. Some of us think about scales that we've done a lot of bad things, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to serve. And if I can just serve on enough ministry teams, if I can just serve in enough ways, then, then God's going to tell me I'm a good jobber and I'm going to be welcome in heaven. For some of us, we're not serving. Some of us are looking for affirmation. Some of us are looking for affirmation. That's, that's the warning in Matthew chapter 6, right? When you give... Don't be like the hypocrites. They give so that everyone can see them. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They pray so that everyone can see them. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. They fast so everyone can see them. When you serve, don't be like the hypocrites so that everyone can see you. And in every instance, When Jesus talks about that, he says that's the only reward you're going to get. So if your desire is a pat on the back or a good job or something like that, you're not serving. You think you're serving, but what you're really looking for is affirmation. And then lastly, some of us, we're not serving, we are escaping. We're escaping whatever situation we have going on at home that we we don't want to be around. So it's just easier if I get involved in 42 million different ways to serve at Westway Christian Church. That way I never have to actually deal with my issues. I don't have to deal with my life. I don't have to deal with my spouse or I don't have to deal with my kids. I can serve. But what you're doing is escaping. And like last week when we talked about giving at the very end, we need to ask ourselves why. We need to ask ourselves why are we serving. We need to be detecting a theme. Sit in front of the mirror and have it reflect back on us. We need to take a good hard look at what reality is. We need to talk with other people. We need to be in community with others. And when they share with us that our motivation might be wrong, instead of rushing to judgment, we need to listen to what they have to say. So let's talk about serving at the expense of others, of those around you. It's really easy for a lot of us to just get down to business, right? A couple weeks ago, we had the annual meeting. And for some of us, it's like, let's just have the annual meeting and let's get out of here. Let's just get in. Let's get out. And I, I learned this the hard way. Before, before I, long before I went into ministry, one of the jobs I held was I worked at Best Buy. I was an assistant manager at Best Buy. And 
For someone who didn't like, doesn't like math, I was an inventory manager, which you would think would be a problem, but for some reason, like, it all made sense to me. So one of the things that I was responsible for was, like, counting product and making sure what, what, we, what the computer said we had. In reality, that was the same. And it was very task-oriented. And my... One of the ways that God has made me, has wired me, is to be very task-oriented and the ability to, f- like, focus on a particular thing. Well, the problem was is I was also an assistant manager, so I had other responsibilities in the store. So frequently, like, I would be, I would be at my desk in the warehouse or at my desk in the, in the manager's area, and I would, be, I would be working on something, and someone would come up, and they would, and they would have a question, and they would start talking to me, and, like, they're over here, and... And I would start talking to them, but my, my eyes would never leave, like, the paper that I was looking at or the screen that I was looking at. I would never turn and, like, acknowledge their existence. I would just sit there and do my own thing. And then one time, one of the things that Best Buy did at the time was they did, like, these employee surveys to try and get a feel for um, what's happening in the company, what's happening in the store, and those kind of things. And then one time... One of these surveys, this was, this was the sentence on the survey that someone said. John Mulholland is bad for morale. Whoa. So I had to look inside myself. I had to dig, I had to dig deep and understand that, that people matter. People matter more. And, and Best Buy, not even, not even the church, but a, but a secular organization recognizes that someone who, who values productivity over people, they think that they know that that's bad. So in the church, we don't want to serve at the expense of other people. And when you serve, are you taking time to notice people? When you're walking in the lobby, do you talk to people? Do you see them? Do you have a conversation with them? Some of us serve at the expense of Jesus. We work so hard that we don't see him at work. We work so hard for him that we don't know him. And this is a struggle for for every pastor that I know. This is a struggle. Because we can convince ourselves, we, we can convince ourselves that on Monday and Tuesday, when when that's that's the days of the week that I spend most of my time working on our Sunday messages, I can convince myself. That little voice is speaking in the back of my head that says, you know what? I don't need to read my Bible today. It's not like I'm not going to be in it for the next 10 hours. I don't need to read my Bible. I'm about to write a message for Sunday. Isn't that enough? And every pastor I know wrestles with this very thing. And I'm absolutely convinced that I've written sermons and I've given sermons out of my own, out of my own strength, out of my own knowledge, 
out of my own wisdom. I know I have done that. And I need to learn and grow out of my prep time. That's true. When I read scripture, I learn so much when I'm, when I'm writing for Sunday. It's one of my favorite times of the week. But that can't be my only time. And that can't be your only time. Because my relationship with Jesus is to be the strength that I lead out of. And for those of us that are serving in the church, your relationship with Jesus is your strength. That's where the strength comes from. And if you're, if you're not leading that way, if you're not leading out of the strength that only Jesus gives, like we talked earlier, I promise it's only a matter of time before it comes out. It's only a matter of time. You need me to lead out of my, the strength of my relationship with Jesus. That's what we need from our pastors. That's what we need from our elders. And if you are serving here at Westway Christian Church, we need you to serve out of that same strength. We need you to serve out of that same place. And a question to think about for this particular particular. particular I have no idea what word I was trying to say there. Question that we have to ask is how how is your Jesus time? How is your personal time with Jesus? We in your bulletin today, we are giving you a tool. We are giving you something to utilize. And it's not necessarily about engaging the Bible as it is engaging Jesus. Will you use it? Some of us are really, really, really concerned about the way others serve or don't serve. And there's a healthy aspect to this. Because God's call for all of us, for every single person who who has been transformed by Jesus, who has entered into a relationship with Jesus, it is all of our roles to serve. We have all been given a gift, and 100% of us are expected to use that gift for God's kingdom. Every single one of us. All of us. There's no one, there's no one that escapes that expectation from God. But I can't tell you how many times I've had people ask me, why is this person doing that? Why is this person not doing this? And I just don't have the impression that the reason they're asking is because they care about that other person's giftedness. They're so concerned about what someone else is doing. They're not looking inside. And aren't we just like the disciples in Mark chapter 9? Rather than, rather than confronting and dealing with our own sinfulness, we point out the flaws in other people, or the perceived flaws in other people. We just want to, we don't want to talk about us. I don't want to be confronted with my sin. It's easier if I just talk about everyone else's. And we default into this self-righteousness and judgment. At the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus not only restores his relationship with Peter, but he tells Peter how he will die. And I love, I love this, right? 
Peter has Peter on the night that Jesus was was arrested. Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus is crucified, is resurrected. And then a little later, at the end of John, we have this interaction between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus restores Peter. Three times he says, do you love me? Peter says, of course I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Like we see that three times. And then Jesus tells Peter amazingly how he's going to die. And Peter sees John. And you know what question he asks? Well, what about him? What about him? And when I read this, I have to ask myself, did these guys even get what in the world is going on here? How, how, how dense do you have to be to have the same story repeated over and over and over and over? And then I only remember that this book is a mirror. And I have to ask myself that very same question. How dense do I have to be? Jesus gives every single one of us an assignment. And one of those assignments is not the assignment police. We are not the assignment police for how everyone else is serving or not serving. That's not our role. So lastly, let's talk about our own dysfunctions. I just want to talk about two, because every single one of us has dysfunctions. Some of us are over-functioners, and here's, here's what that means if you're an over-functioner. An over-functioner does for others what they can do for themselves. That's what an over-functioner is. Right? So, so mom and dad, if you, are constant, if, if you have a child probably above the age of, I'm just going to say four, if you're constantly picking up your kids' shoes because they won't do it, you're an overfunctioner. Okay? Your children know how to pick up their shoes. Don't be an overfunctioner. And how we spiritualize this particular dysfunction, how we spiritualize this particular dysfunction is we say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what that means, I'm going to work, 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 work. I'm going to do all these things. And then when I die, I'm going to sleep. That is someone who is spiritualizing their dysfunction of over-functioning. Don't spiritualize your dysfunctions. And here's the other one I want to just briefly talk about. Some of us are under-functioners. We allow others to do for us what we can do for ourselves. That's the space that we live in. We allow other people to do for us what we can do for ourselves. And when we spiritualize that, like what some of you have just heard is, John just told me that I shouldn't be a Martha today, so I'm not going to do anything. Wrong. We don't want to be an under-functioner as well. And one of the things I want you to, to really notice about these dysfunctions is that our dysfunctions are often like the evil twin of something God has given us as a good. Right? Satan loves to deceive us. He loves to take God's word and just twist it a little bit. Right? God gave me, God gave me the gift of being able to 
to focus and complete a task and be wired that way and be successful that way. But he did not give me that task at the expense of everyone else in the room. That is my dis- dysfunction, is taking the thing that God has given me and twisting it. And for many of us, the way to get through this is to serve like Jesus did. Well, how did Jesus serve? I'm going to read to you something from Philippians chapter 2. I want you to listen to these verses. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now I am away. It is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. We are to serve like King Jesus. To serve like King Jesus. If you want to know what that looks like, it's Philippians 2. As we sing this next song, what I'm going to ask is, if you are a person who prays with others to go to your spot, if you'd like someone to pray with you today, like if you heard, well, yep, I'm an overfunctioner, or my motive stinks, or I spiritualize my problems and blame Jesus rather than accepting them for myself. Like this is an opportunity for us as a body to respond to what God is saying to you. And I would encourage you to pray with someone. So as we sing this next song, some people are going to be around the room. Go pray with people. Receive what God has for you in that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I ask God that we would serve you in ways that bring you honor and glory. That we would remember that serving you is not about us, but it is about you. Serving others is not about us, but it's about them. God, help each one of us to have a heart for you.
And for those who need prayer, God, I'm going to ask that they would not set those thoughts aside. That they would respond because this is an act of humility and part of serving is humility. So God, I plead with you that they would respond. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.